The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. And we are live to tape to the W2M Network for the kickoff. NFL Draft Edition Part 2, our review of the draft. Last week was our preview. Now we're coming back at you to let you know what we all thought. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you're listening to this, everybody. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the day one co-host, Brandon Biscabing. Hey, hey, hey. The executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins. Greetings on the last day of the epic hair. And the newest member of our panel, replacing the chair, Jason Teasley. Hello, everyone. Are you going to try to play this straight again? Because that was <laughs> hilarious last time. Really? No snarky comment? <laughs> give him time. Chair, me and the chair are here to give our Division Three insights on this year's draft. <laughs> Uh, we will we will be we will be on our best behavior if only there were there any d3 uh draft picks this year i'm actually yes, there was hold on hold on i'm going to point this out you you of all people are asking me that look at the fourth uh, round Johnson. oh yes you're right look what college he came from yeah yeah you're wait no this 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 proves that if I speak something into existence, it will happen. Wait, who was uh, I'm I'm drawing Kyle a... Kyle Laletta of Richmond. But wait, yes. I thought they no, aren't they FCS? They're, F, they're FCS, but I understand where Jason's going. I get it. I know. He, I know. Do not question the wonders of Ginger Damas, people. <laughs> well, this is what I said. I, I spoke. I made fun of the damn Richmond Spiders. <laughs> And we draft one. That's <laughs> later on in the show. By by the way, in case you're wondering, if if we were if we were a musically inclined podcast, we're not because you know rights and stuff. This would be the part where Radiohead's Karma Police would be playing in the background. <laughs> just for the just for that, you know what, Biscuby? Yes, Vicky Guerrero. Oh, screw you. <laughs> Anywho, let's go ahead and talk about what the format for tonight's episode is. Again, not a traditional episode of the kickoff because it is a non-traditional topic. We are here to cover the 2018 NFL draft, and in doing so, we will discuss who we feel are our biggest winners and losers for the draft itself. We will also talk about our biggest steal as well as our biggest reach in the draft from each one from each individual perspective here the winners and losers we can agree on like we can name the same teams for that the reach and the steal i'd like to keep them different because we're only doing one of each of those so there should be enough reaches and enough steals that that should be possible and then finally we will close out our coverage of the 2018 nfl draft by discussing how we thought our team did in the draft and what our expectations are for the rest of free agency with that being said, gentlemen, are you guys ready to get into tonight's episode of the kickoff? Let's do it. Yay! All right. 
Before we do so, quick, take this quick opportunity to tell you that the kickoff is a presentation of the W2M Network, available online at W2Mnet.com. If you are interested in anything in the worlds of football, soccer, video games, wrestling, entertainment, and so much more, you can find podcasts, reviews, articles, conversational pieces, and so much more on the online home of the W2M Network at W2Mnet.com. Let's start with our biggest winners of the NFL draft, Eric Watkins, I go to you first. I mean, for as much smack that we talked about as far as with the Browns, now overall by Browns' expectations, I would have to classify them as a winner. But with how the draft played out, they are not the winner. In my opinion, my main winners got to be Denver. Granted, Cleveland pulled a Cleveland and gave them a little bit of help with that, especially for the number five overall pick. But they really focused on, as we talked about, a little bit of an aging defense. So what do they do? They focus on Josie Jewell in the middle rounds linebacker. Bradley Chubb out of NC State with the number five pick. Then to shore up an offense around Case Keenum, a couple of big wide receivers, help a little bit of help along the offensive line. I mean, they really didn't do a whole lot wrong for what they're looking for. Yeah, it's um, it's funny that you mentioned Denver because I'm actually on the ESPN.com NFL draft section here. And they had five needs listed for Denver going into this draft here. They were offensive guard, running back, wide receiver, cornerback, and outside linebacker. And they hit all five of those needs in addition to getting Bradley Chubb. Yeah, we really, what can you go better? And not just even in just one for each of those positions. In some cases, you got big-time Cortland Sutton, Royce Freeman out of Oregon, who I think is going to be a bit of a sneaky surprise good player. So, oh, kudos to them. Elway just proves he knows what he's doing, this time at least. Brandon Biscabing, who's your first winner? Um, should, should I just repeat that, or should I go to my other winner? Because my first biggest winner was the Broncos as well. That's fine. We can wait and get back to you for your second winner. So, yeah, pretty much everything that Eric said, repeated. What, yeah. Basically, his first winner is Denver, what Eric said. Exactly. Jason, who's your first winner? Uh, my first winner is actually the Arizona Cardinals, who pull off two spectacular picks in their offense for the future to pair with a healthy David Johnson by going out and getting trading up and all over the first round to get Josh Rosen, who was arguably, in some people's mind, the best quarterback of the draft. But he took a tumble, fell right in Arizona's lap. They've got their big, strong arm kid of the future, pairing with a healthy David Johnson. And oh, yeah, by the way, they got one of my breakout receivers, Christian Kirk, who is going to be a phenomenal asset to that offense. And a really good, healthy replacement for Larry Fitzgerald once he hangs up the cleats. Okay. Um, 
I'm kind of torn as to who I want to go as my first winner here. And the reason I say that is because there were several teams that did interesting stuff, but nobody that I really thought super dominated this particular draft here. So I'm going to go with my first winner. I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens. And the reason I'm going to pick the Ravens is because not only were they able to get who many people feel is the best tight end in this draft in Hayden Hurst out of South Carolina, they were then able to trade back up into the first round and get the man that these guys were waxing poetically on last week in our preview episode, Lamar Jackson. I personally don't see it with Lamar, but if he ends up being half as good as some of these people are expecting him to be, then Baltimore could have their quarterback of the future and the man that forces Joe Flacco out of the Charm City. Well, it also helps that he's going to be sitting behind Flacco, and Flacco can teach him how to be more of a pocket quarterback. You assume that he sits behind Flacco for too long, though. If they feel that Lamar is the future in Baltimore and the season becomes a lost cause, it is entirely possible that Flacco may just end up that uh, Flacco may end up turning over the reins to Jackson during oh. the course of this under season. Oh no, I, I'm not necessarily I'll, I'll too much. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to sit behind him all year, but you know, even if he's sitting behind him for a little <clears> bit, or even if they do try to give him the reins like halfway through the season, you're still going to have that time with Flacco and you're going and he's going to be able to learn from Flacco. Well, not to mention he's going to be able to learn about a pocket presence and the qualities of being a pocket passer mm-hmm. from Flacco. He's also going to learn about how the NFL would translate with his mobility and using his legs from RG3. Because let's face it, say that Flacco is out, if Jackson becomes the starter then if anything happens to him, you really don't have to tweak too much if RG3 does have to come in. So that's really setting up for a little bit of a ideal, almost golden scenario. But not only that, also with RG3, he also can teach Jackson of the dangers of being a more running type quarterback because he's faced it all too well getting injured in his first season because of him running a little too much. Eric, well, who's your... No, go you ahead. Guys, yeah, you guys crapped all over a future point of mine. So I'm pivoting on the fly. So just know that. And my pivot's going to really upset our patriarch, Sean. Sean, just stay uh, tuned. We'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Trust me, I have something to say about their draft class as well. Let's go ahead and get over to Eric's second winner for the draft. Eric? Another team in what has always been something of a topsy-turvy division has been for the last decade. They know that they have two main stars, one on offense, one on defense. The trick is, how do you build around each of them? Who answers those questions? The Carolina Panthers. DJ Moore, Dante Jackson, Jermaine Carter, Kendrick Norton, Ian Thomas, they got a couple key targets, not just to help along the line, but another good threat to add to Cam Newton. And with their work around the D-line and a defensive back, they're showing we also want to build around Luke Keekley as much as we can, too. That's another all-around draft that I have to say, very, very well done. Brandon? Uh, I'm 
another team that someone else already talked about, my second is the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, getting Josh Rosen, which fell right into their lap, who fell right into their laps. Uh, you know, some wide receiver help, helping with that their that aging wide receiver core. Got some O line help. I mean, like you mentioned, Harry, before, you know, they they filled all their needs. They they filled everything that they needed to. Um, so you know, a great draft for them overall. Jason. I'm going to go out. Uh, I was going to go to the Browns. Then I was like, I was told that I can't t- take one of my, my personal team. So we're pivoted. We're going to go with the Green Bay Packers, who addressed a lot of defensive concerns. Because offensively, I think they're pretty good. Which we'll go with. We're going to touch on something. Here a little bit later when it comes back around me on our steals. Uh, but Green Bay went out and shored up their defense, got <laughs> a talented corner out of Louisville and uh, Alexander, um, a corner, the corner out of uh, Iowa, Josh Jackson. I mean, then they had um, Owen Burks. In the, uh, I think it was the third round. Yeah, linebacker in the third round. So they addressed a lot of defense concerns that <clears throat> has plagued them because really, offensively, they're kind of good. Well, assuming that they can keep Aaron Rodgers protected, I think that the big thing for them would have been getting somebody on on the guard spot or the uh, on the right side for to guard Aaron Rodgers as well. They managed to pick up an offensive tackle in Cole Madison out of Washington State, but they did not pick up any guards during the course of this draft here, which means I think they're going to have to hit the O-line kind of heavy in the rest of the offseason. And that's something that could be easily addressed. I mean, you're, you're going to – that front office can work some magic. I mean, they seem to work magic out of thin air. But I think that's um, that a lot of free agents was holding out till post draft to see where they can go to get the money, and they mm-hmm. wouldn't just be signing money to stick behind a rookie. So I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of free agent moves with the organization once these rookies get signed, and we see where where the cap room and stuff falls. It physically pains me to say this. Because this is a pick that both my mother and my girlfriend will love. And I hate giving this team any credit at all. But to me, arguably the biggest winner of this draft was the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, I'm out. (laughs) They got rid of problem child Martavis Bryant. Getting his replacement immediately in this draft. And the man that Jason spent a lot of time talking about last week in James Washington. Jason and Brandon both sung the praises of Washington last week. Not only did they get James Washington, they got his his backfield mate at Oklahoma State, quarterback Mason Rudolph, who a lot of people are pegged as the best quarterback in this class. And they got Terrell Edmonds' line, or safety to help their secondary in the first round. But just as importantly there for Steelers Nation was getting to see Ryan Shazier walking up to the podium to make that pick. Mm-hmm. Beautiful moment. I, I was definitely that was definitely one that I was considering putting as one of the top draft classes. 
The Steelers uh, have already the Steelers have already announced that Shazier will not play in 2018. But the mere sight of him, anything football related, has got to be a huge boost to the confidence of his teammates as far as whether or not they'll ever see him back on a football field again. Mm-hmm. Is it me, or would it have been funny if he punked everybody and stump and act like he was going to stumble and fall? You're a horrible person. Yes. I mean, I mean, would it not? Would it? I mean, like, actually, you know how they have those the heartwarming moments, like with somebody that has problems walking, they kind of look unsteady, and like he plays it off because he is kind of a. He's a good-hearted person. I mean, I like, I, I really like, like him as a player and as a human being. And so, so if he would have just tried to have fun with it, and because he's not really the type of person that likes making things about himself, and like he just kind of acted a little bit wobbly, and then like had the triumphant walk out, and just with a smile on his face, because seeing him him smile up at the podium was was. As a football fan, as bad as I hate the Steelers, as a football fan as a whole, made me feel good because it showed the progress he has made from the injury. But it would—I just thought it would have been a lighthearted punk by him if he would have—if he would just kind of, kind of act like he was stumbling and just kind of gave you, gave you that big, big smile like "gotcha, I'm back, I'm, I'm on my road back." I, I have no words to that. None whatsoever. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> alternative would be, you know, come out with a little walker or something at the beginning and then just like autograph it and throw have it. That, that would have been the better way of doing it. Like come out with like a cane and be like, well, why do I need this? And just toss it to the side. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's basically what I was saying. Like come out, just kind of unsure of yourself. Like everybody just like, you know, with just holding their breath and, you know, you have that gasp of like, oh, my God, he's not ready. And then he just kind of looks at, smile, give you a wink, and walks out to the podium. <laughs> I think that would even – I think that even the, everybody in attendance at Jerry World would have popped for that. Oh, More yeah. than what he actually did. Yeah, let's let's be entirely honest here. He easily got the best reaction out of any of the guest pickers down at uh, down to Cowboys Stadium. Oh, yeah. TNT Stadium. The best yeah, the first action, and it was my second favorite moment out of the guest pickers. Yeah, yeah. It was my second favorite moment as well. We'll talk about our favorite moment at the guest pickers when we talk about the other half of the draft here because, well, despite how much fun the moment may have been, the team itself didn't do so well. One of, one of my big losers coming out of this NFL draft is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. For as much fun as David Akers' troll job was, <laughs> and it was goddamn fantastic. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. <laughs> I don't think the uh, the Eagles got maybe one player that'll make that'll make their their roster when the season starts here, and that would be the tight end that Akers announced, Dallas Goddard. Trading out of the first round and not giving themselves a first-round pick probably had a lot to do with the lack of depth that they're going to pick up in this draft. Not to mention they are the defending Super Bowl champions, so a whole lot of depth is probably not needed in this draft. Mm-mm. But when you have five picks and actually six when you count the one that they traded away, and you end up with, in my opinion, one person that's going to make your 50-man main roster for when the season starts, I'd call that a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. Eric? 
First of all, how awesome was David Akers' troll job? Again, the man is my spirit animal. And it's a funny moment because my mom's doctor is from Philadelphia. And when she had her first appointment with him, some of the first things she mentioned out of her mouth was how much she liked the Cowboys. Oh, God. No, as soon as that happened, I'm like, no, you need to watch this. Listen to the crowd's reaction. Now you'll know what I was talking about. <laughs> she immediately understood. So, David, shout out to you even more for kind of proving me right. <laughs> Second of all, Eric, who is your first loser for this draft? As much as I love this team, as much as I'm willing to defend some recent decisions that they've made, I don't have a problem with it. They didn't do themselves a lot of favors in this draft. And as we'll find out when we talk about our biggest reach, this is the exact first foot that they got off at. Oakland. Really? Colton Miller. Yeah, I'm like, you do that and just... You had a good move in trade, making the trade for those receivers. That was a potentially solid foundation and then you go and to me they kind of pissed a few of these picks just away i'm sorry <laughs> brandon i know uh, uh, both eric and jason were talking about this as one of the better drafts for them especially considering who i'm about to mention but still Especially considering who they are, the fact that the Browns picked two, not just one, but two very uncertain, very, you know, shady uh, character-wise picks in this draft just oozes problems. Not only do they pick Baker Mayfield, who we talked at length about last week at on how, you know, his immaturity is a little there. We we compared him to Johnny Manziel. He's not quite to that level, but, you know, he is still, uh, you know, he still has a little bit of that in him, and, you know, going to the Browns and losing consistently isn't going to help him. But then, in the fourth round, you proceed to pick Antonio Callaway, from Florida, who we also talked about how he has a few issue off the field field issues himself. Yeah, real quick here, Bisco. I kind of want to chime in on that as the resident Florida defender here. I really can't defend Antonio in this instance here because I just found out in the time between the combine and the draft that Callaway failed a, failed a marijuana test as well. <laughs> so, so basically, they replaced uh, uh, Josh Krebs. Well, Cribs is supposed to be reinstated for the upcoming season, and it and it was actually Josh Gordon who. You <laughs> oh, were Josh Gordon. Excuse me, you're you're correct, but but so, so basically yeah. they replaced Josh Gordon with this guy. <laughs> he, he's their well, resident pothead. <laughs> well, maybe we'll see. Um, Jason, where do you fall? Well, I was going to go with Placco. But you guys already beat that dead horse. So I want to go as the <clears throat> the NFL draft 
as a whole is a loser because I think that it, especially we, we noticed it this season, we've seen it in the past. We've seen it. We've noticed it with two players, two predominant first round picks. One was a first round. The other should have been a first round pick. How the NFL draft and teams in the NFL as a whole handle things. Case in point, Josh Allen. He tumbled down boards. Why? Because of something he done when he was like 15, 16 years old. I think he was like 15 when it happened. Tweets. Did It, it was just ironic how that magically comes out draft time. I think teams find this stuff out just to release it to make player stock fail. Another one was Geis, who was arguably everybody's top two running back to come off the board. He fell all the way to Washington in like, was it the late second, early third? When he went to Washington? I'm, I don't have my notes in front of me right now. But uh, late he, second. he felt like, I mean, he was like the fifth running back off the board when everybody was talking about how great he was going to be and that he was going to go to Detroit in the first round. So I think the NFL as a whole is one of my biggest losers because you see people go in and manipulate kids and hold them responsible for, for one things that happened when he was, you know, an immature 15 year old, like Eric mentioned once before, if I had Twitter and stuff, when I was 15, God, my life would be in shambles right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, but playing devil's advocate real quick, you know, there's a reason why a lot of these teams are doing this because you know they they um they're they're focused they're focused on you know PR too much you know in today's world uh it, with the way that uh, today handles itself. Just pick up, pick back. Sorry about that, everyone. Dog being loud. Uh, yeah, but as I was saying, you know, in today's world with social media and all of this and how, you know, news is 24-7, people see things on the street and suddenly it's out there and it makes national headlines and everything. These teams are so focused, you know, nowadays it's like, you know, these players, whether right or wrong, I think it's kind of wrong because, you know, I I get the reason why, but, you know, they are still human and everything. You know, these players are seen as role models and all of that, so they want these guys to have good characters and everything. And, you know, that's why these things create such a problem. Yeah, but can you hold a 15-year-old accountable for... Telling somebody at 15 years old, look, in in four years, what you do right now is going to determine multi-million dollars. Hey, speaking as a Buffalo Bills fan, I'm glad Allen dropped to seven. Yeah, I mean, you, you're ecstatic with it, but I mean... Uh, but, no, it, it, it definitely having people that go through and hurt the earnings potentials of these kids by looking back into their past behaviors... In a lot of these cases, the tweets and stuff that come up that are discovered have long since been deleted, but it's people going through, like, archive machines, people going through, like, 
people's old databases and stuff and finding old accounts that are unattributed to their current account now that they're a household name coming out of college, such as was or the case, such as was the case for Josh, such as was the case for Josh Allen or Darius guys here. All right, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, or it's some kid that might have been, you know, it could have been the backup quarterback for his high school team that, you know, was going to be petty and leak this information. You know, kids can be petty. Everybody can be petty. I'm petty. Look at the empty chair over there. I'm petty as hell. Um, <laughs> but on that note, it's, it's the fact that, you know, you, you should let people stand on their own morals and standards, not dig up something they did. Now, the guy's thing I can understand because the reports came out post-draft that he was lazy. He tried. He about got into a fight at the, I think it was the Eagles team meeting and everything. And, you know, I can understand that because that's here and now. But the Josh Allen stuff, I mean, I'm a huge Josh Allen supporter. I wanted him to go number one. Hell, I wanted if he was going to fall anymore, I wanted him to fall to the second round to the Giants. I would have been happy. But it's it's one of those things that you should count, uh, make players accountable for what the here and now, not petty stuff that happened when they was kids being kids. All right, I'll Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Uh, I'll agree with that. I do agree that it is very petty. Um, you know, I I do think that it it shouldn't be going this far. But I'm just looking at it. You know, like I get why it's happening because you know these these teams don't want that bad press. I mean, even look at you know. I mean, granted, this is more you know prevalent because it's happening currently. But you know. Even look at guys like Tebow, like Kaepernick. Anything you do, you know, on or off the field is scrutinized to the to the most minute detail now. And that's a product of society being yes. being what it is, and, and you know the shortcomings. Everybody's too concerned about everybody else's life, not yep. concerned about their own. Yep. Yeah. The- the thing is, is we live in a very PR-driven society, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of teams that back in the old days would take their chances on players such as this are less likely to do so now to what Jason mentioned earlier with Darius Geis falling all the way to round two, pick 27, so number 59 overall to the Washington Redskins. Yeah, and the fact that we have become so PR-driven, and that's the perfect way to describe it, because... With the way everybody is, you can call it sensitivity or whatever, these are still the kind of people, a very vast consumer base, people that will buy the merch, people that spend the money on cable subscriptions, people that attend games, pay for parking, etc., etc., etc. So you have to realize if you've got even a handful of people that say, hey, we don't like this, those people tell other people. Those people, they'll tweet, they'll put it on Facebook, and then the word spreads. Next thing you know, you have a legitimate problem, and you're facing a potential hit in the wallet. That's really not how it 100% should be, but unfortunately, at least for where we sit right now, that's where it is. And these teams are having to be more and more careful because these repercussions have been so magnified. 
Yeah. All right. And, yeah. Go ahead, Brandon, and then we'll move on because we still have another yep. we still have another loser to get to for each of us. So go ahead yeah. and make your point. Here, then we'll yeah, I mean, basically what Eric said, you know, it's just that everything is so scrutinized now, so, you know, no matter what you do, everything is under a radar. Everything's under a microscope. And, you know, for better or worse, probably for worse, but that's how things are going now. All right, we're going to go ahead and move back into the draft coverage now and continue on with our losers here. Since I went first to start off the losers here, I'll give my second loser here. And it's one that at least half of the panel here is really going to enjoy hearing. My second biggest loser for this draft behind the Philadelphia Eagles is the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, my, lo- my, my, my second loser kind of goes hand in hand with that. So I'll piggyback off you. My second loser is the Dallas Cowboys for a, co- for a number of reasons here. One, they barely address their defensive concerns at all. The only person that they really addressed for their defensive concerns was Leighton Vander Esch in the first round out of Boise State. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Smurf turfers don't do well in the NFL. For the most part, nah. Nah. Leighton Vander Esch was a reach in the first round. He's not my biggest reach of the first round, but he was a major reach to me in the first round. Also... The only other defensive position that they touched on was Dorrance Armstrong Jr., defensive end out of Kansas. First of all, I didn't even know Kansas still played competitive college football. (laughs) They they don't. (laughs) Second of all, you have glaring needs in your secondary, and you don't spend one single draft pick on it? Are you freaking kidding me? Again, Harry, Harry, Jerry World, (laughs) Jerry Jones. I mean, yeah. You think about it. This is a man who said in a commercial that he had a 12-person hot tub shaped like Texas Stadium. Now that he's had AT&T Stadium, you can easily say that that will be, what, 15, 20? These are the kind of things he thinks about. And that explains why Jason Garrett is still his coach. (laughs) Could could be worse. Eric, your second loser? Now, mine, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. They, they made a nice sentimental pick in my eyes, a very valid pick as well. And they did start off the draft with the pick that I've kind of seen in action a few times, staying up with the little late nights and a little bit of a... I know where this is going. Yeah, but overall, knowing the division you're in, Knowing that your coach is going to be on the hot seat, knowing the amount of major issues you had on your team, you didn't do yourselves too many favors. Seattle, I love you. I have a friend up in that region. My mother wants to live there. I went ahead and invested time in watching your rugby team. We'll go ahead and I think lose, but that's not the point. The point is Seahawks. You're supposed to do better to help me love that city, man. No, you don't do this. <laughs> I like the pick of Shaquem Griffin. I think that that dude's going to be a monster once he lands with the team. He'll be a special teams force, and he'll be a third down guy who comes in and helps dominate. That being, <laughs> that being said, Rashad Penny in the first round was a gigantic mistake. They could have easily gotten Penny late 
second, early third. Of course, and especially when you're picking that late. And Harry, you and I, we've all talked about fairly unheralded out of San Diego State. Talented, but unheralded. He, you could wait a little bit. There wasn't a big run on him. It just, oh, God, this, they, I haven't seen the Seahawks decisions like this at the draft since the movie Draft Day. I still have never seen that. I need to. I hear it's pretty good. And it, it, so for what it is, it is surprisingly good. All right, Brandon, you're up. Who's your second loser? My second loser for the draft is the Raiders. I mean, they go in the 15th overall spot, get Colton Miller. They didn't really need a ton of help at offensive line. They could have easily gotten someone lower down. Um, and plus, he was seen as a potential third-round draft pick by a lot of uh, analysts. I I don't see where he's he's a you know top half of the first round type of pick, um, and then in the second round you pick another. Hey, we we talked about it uh, before, but at least they drafted him lower down in the draft. You pick a uh, an FCS defensive tackle, a smaller defensive tackle, uh, in the in your number in your uh, number two slot. Um, you know, they pretty much went all, uh, all, uh, line, uh, because, except for, uh, Nick Nelson from Wisconsin at number, at, in their fourth round pick. All their other picks are either linemen or they got a punter. Yeah, but they got a really good punter. Yes. I'll I'll give you that. That was a decent pick. A- they had a really good punter, and B, they did with their last pick get a wide receiver. Yeah. So, gonna... yeah, but the wide receiver that they got is the guy who was basically in James Washington's shadow. At, at yeah, Oklahoma pretty State. much. So, yeah. yeah, this is a bust. All right, Jason, you wrap us up for our losers for the draft. All right, I want to piggyback on what you said, Eric. I mean, yeah, Harry, damn. Wife was in here talking to me. And I'm going to piggyback on that and go with Dak Prescott as being one of the biggest losers of this draft. Not only does his front office and Jerry World not address the glaring receiver help that they need, you know, since they cut Dez, um, they they don't address that until they pick up uh, Gallup. I don't know. You have the three top wide receivers sitting there for Dallas to pick. And it was so bad that we thought that Sean Witt and done some god-awful things because he was not able to make a podcast that night after the pick. He went missing. So, yeah, and, then, and what? Real quick here, just to touch on your your Michael Gallup thing here. In what universe, when Calvin Ridley is sitting there in the first round, do you not pick Calvin Ridley over Leighton Van Der Esch? Oh, well, you got Calvin Ridley. You got um, DJ Moore. You got Sutton. All three Christian sitting Kirk. there. Yeah, well, Kirk, I think – I don't think he was a first round. I, he's 
a steal in the second. But, I mean, you got the three top receivers sitting there staring at you going, okay, you let your wide receiver one go. You've got a young quarterback. You've got a stud running back. You need a stud receiver. Yeah, we're not going to address that. And then on day two, you know, so this is how bad that the Cowboys draft went. On day two, Jason Witten retires because he knows how horrible <laughs> Jerry Jones is and says, you know what? I'm out. You're not, you're not providing talent. He, he saw the writing on the wall. We, you want to make this a Dak-friendly offense, but you don't want to give us the weapons to do so. So he was like, deuces, I'm gone. Been a nice career. I'm going to go take Monday Night Football money. He he did say that he could have a last-minute change of heart, but I kind of agree with you. He's looking at this, and he's like, yeah, about that. Hey, ESPN, what up? <laughs> it's Job Squad. Pin me, pay me. I'm out. <laughs> it's, hey, I'm not winning anything this year. Deuces. <laughs> we want a super Real quick question. Does anybody else besides me see Jerry Jones as this generation, Al Davis? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think, it makes per- I think it makes perfect sense that those two were as close as they were there because they're basically the same person. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Al Davis just came back and, and you know, possessed Jerry Jones' body <laughs> and Al runs the Cowboys. Pretty much. Sean, can you give us clarification on that if you listen to this? <laughs> Uh, All right, gentlemen, with that being said, we wrap up winners and losers for the draft here. And now we move on to our biggest reaches and steals. Let's start on the positive since we're coming off of the negative with the with the losers here. Let's start with our biggest steals of the draft. And to me, the biggest steal of the draft goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting Derwin James at 17. It physically pains me to say that a Florida State Seminole was a steal. As a Gators fan, like it hurts in the in the pit of my stomach that I have to make this assessment. So don't do what I do. <laughs> deny, deny, deny. <laughs> Pretend that they don't exist. There's no team in Tallahassee. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. What? They have a football team. Oh, yeah. Florida A&M. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all sincerity here. Derwin James may be the best player in this draft on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, God, I'm just glad he's gone. <laughs> and in the process of Derwin getting taken where he was taken there, at down at 17, this is a guy who a lot of people projected as a first, as a top 10 pick. And if you believe certain people's boards... I want to say one of the ESPN guys, I'm not sure if it was Kuiper or McShay, had him as a top five pick as well. This is a guy who could be a force in the defensive secondary for years to come. And to get him at 17 when he was projected as a potential top 10 and possible top five is great value. Eric, who's your biggest steal? Honestly, I was thinking about one quarterback, but now that I think about it, it's a steal and even a very sneakier steal because you may not see it those first year or two, but there was a name floated around as far as quarterbacks that we mentioned on this podcast in 
I think we can all admit we knew he wasn't going to be a day one guy. He probably, if he was lucky, going to be towards the end of day two. Both those pass. We get to day three, waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, Tennessee realizes, holy crap, we still have, we found out we have Blaine Gabbert. This is a problem. How do they address this? They get Luke Falk. Now, I know the craziness that is the Pac-12. I know the craziness that is the Mike Leach offense. But getting him at pick 199, again, you're probably not going to see much of him at Tennessee. He will be the backup at best. But say another team comes along, picks him up two years' time or so, you're going to have a potentially very dynamic quarterback on your hands. Real quick, before Brandon gives us his steal, I need to make a quick correction. Derwin James went to the Chargers, not the Buccaneers. I had Tampa Bay pulled up in front of me. I do apologize for that. Derwin James went to the Chargers at 17, not Tampa Bay. All right, Brandon, who's your biggest steal of the, of the uh, NFL draft? My, my biggest steal of the NFL draft, we talked about his uh, secondary mate on the other side a lot last week. But Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama, the Jaguars help that dominant defense and get a good uh, free safety uh, in the third round. Uh, you know, not the not the top safety in in the country or anything like that, but he is still a solid safety, and he should be able to solidify that deep that deep side of of the uh, Jaguars defense and make it even more of a threat. Per ESPN staff writer Matt Bowman on Twitter, good fit for Alabama safety Ronnie Harrison in the Jaguars' defensive scheme. Harrison has the physical play style to roll down in the box and can also line up as a middle third defender. Eric, we'll talk more specifically about your team here, but they went very SEC heavy in this draft. Four out of their, four out of their seven picks come from the Southeastern Conference. They know their demographics. That's smart drafting. And also Jason. easier uh, easier scouting for them. Bingo. Jason, you wrap us up. Who was your biggest steal of the NFL draft? I'm gonna I'm gonna dig deep. How deep you say? I'm gonna go for pick two hundred and ninety seventh in the sixth round. That's how deep I'm gonna go. And I wanna go with a wide receiver that the Packers got, and I'm, I'm going to butcher his first name, so we're just going to call him Equal. Equinemius. St. Brown. Well, we're going to call him E, for <laughs> sure. We're, we're, we're going to call him E, because I'm from West Virginia. I have a southern accent. I can't say that very well. <laughs> just stating, stating facts. All right, but, here, I'll say it for uh, you. Equinemius. Yeah, him, uh, St. Brown, <laughs> went, to the, <laughs> went to the Packers. I think that he is a dominant rough that this Packers organization is going to turn around and just make a unreal superstar out of. They lose Jordy. He slides right into that role. Jordy left open. Young. Athletic as hell, sure hands. 
And I'm surprised he fell as far as he did. I mean, well, you got to think the, the the issue for the Packers though is that they drafted two other wide receivers ahead of Equinemius in this draft. They took Jamon Moore out of Missouri in the fourth round, and then earlier in the earlier in the fifth round, right before they made the selection of Equinemius, they picked Marquez Valdez Scantling out of South Florida. I've never, I don't well, even remember. Both of them suck. <laughs> this is my pick. <laughs> I, I, I mean, think the ca- or I think the Packers are basically going with uh, wide receiver by committee. Yes. Well, that's all right. We do podcasts by committee sometimes. <laughs> yeah, have we? Exactly. We see it. We see. We see an empty chair. We feel it. It goes that way. <laughs> and and like I have proven, when you fill an empty chair with greatness, you succeed. And Jason, I, I feel you about the whole pronouncing the name. I, I, let's just say there was a time last week where I had trouble with the word ornithological, which I at least tried two or three times. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't working, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Granted, I wasn't entirely sober when it happened, but I can still relate. <laughs> That's the reason why you had the problem with it. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) With that that being said, we switch over to the other side, and we'll go in reverse order here. Jason, since you went last for your steal, who was your biggest reach of the NFL draft? Uh, That would be pick 173 overall. (sighs) Brandon touched on that being one of his biggest failures of this draft and we're going to go with the Oakland Raiders taking a punter and Johnny Townsend at 173 I, I completely disagree with that well I, I it's okay to, uh, you know what Harry it's okay to be wrong and disagree with me I accept that <laughs> alright first but, of all let's say that there is a little bit of bias in my disagreement here as Townsend is a Florida <clears throat> That being said, Townsend is also a three-time All-SEC punter. But, Kat, this this is about why I think it's a reach. You got him at 173. You could have got him probably around later. And it's the Raiders who could have addressed more concerns with that pick and still got their guy probably later in the draft. Well, what they should I did, have not done. I was did. I did see. I did see. I don't see a big, huge run on punters in the. I mean, We're that's just here. me. Eric, you were saying? No, I was saying what they should have not done was get rid of Marquette King to begin with. Then they wouldn't have had a need for a punter whatsoever. But after the position they got him, you're talking like fifth, sixth round, right around there. Yeah, you're not losing much in getting a punter right there. That's about where you should get them. Mm-hmm. Compensatory pick from Dallas, end of the fifth round. Granted, ranked 234th overall by ESPN Scouting. But that being said, as somebody who watches Gators games on a regular basis, I rarely saw Townsend have a bad day. If he can get the protection that he needs to get his kicks off, he has a booming leg that will replace Marquette King in Oakland. Well, well of course, there he, they, he, his job is already done. Marquette King is gone. That's why they drafted a punter. <laughs> but I, I mean that... It, oh, yeah. 
he'll make sure that the fans don't miss King being their punter because he'll be able to step right into that role. Mm-hmm. I that I do agree with. Brandon, who's your biggest reach of the draft? My biggest reach of the draft, I know I'm being a bit of a hypocrite right here because, you know, I've talked about how important offensive line is. But, I mean, getting a offensive tackle at ninth overall, um, especially when you're a team that, you know, yeah, you don't have a ton of uh, holes that you need to fill, but you still have more important issues to address at number nine overall for the 49ers. Getting Mike Mc... Yeah, McGlinchey, or... McGlinchey? Yes, McGlinchey. There we go. Thank you. Get Zune Height? Yes. Uh, Notre Dame at nine overall. You could have easily gotten another offensive tackle that maybe not quite as good as him, but at least comparable later on in the draft, even at even in the second round. All right, I'm going to disagree with that because, in my opinion, there was no question in my mind McGlinchey was the best tackle in this draft. Oh, yes, I agree with that. But, you so know. Say, saying that they could have gotten somebody comparable later on in the draft is a misnomer because talent like McGlinchey, talent like um, the one that the uh, – uh, Colton Miller. Colton Miller would have been available for them later on if Oakland hadn't reached for Miller. But you're not going to find a player like McGlinchey later on in this draft. To me, McGlinchey is a guy who could be similar to Cleveland's Joe Thomas. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're trying to build protection around Jimmy Garoppolo, that was another one of those smart, smart moves. Yeah, I'm going to completely disagree with you, much the same way as I did with as, as I did with Jason. Eric, that brings us to you. Who's your biggest reach? Well, you just mentioned him. Uh, Jason mentioned the team. You mentioned the player, Colton Miller. I mean, I get the need for offensive tackle, and especially the way that the, the first half of the first round went. You had a run on quality offensive linemen. Colton Miller was not a quality offensive lineman. I mean, we've seen times where he's been great, but we've also seen times where he's missed blocks and protection and to let Josh Rosen get beat to crap at UCLA. This, you can get the kind of vague idea of what the Raiders were thinking, especially with Derek Carr, but this was the absolute worst way that you could have looked at that and addressed that problem. Way too much of a reach at 15 for a guy like Miller. With an honorable mention to the New Orleans Saints for trading away their first round this year and their first round next year to move up to grab Marcus Davenport. My biggest reach of the NFL draft is going to be a man who not only went way higher than he should have, but could have been gotten at a spot where a trade was offered. Eric. Did you know that there was an offer of 12... 53 and 56 from Buffalo to Cleveland to move up to number four. I did not know that. Interesting. It would have been our first round this year at 12, the one that we got in the trade with Cincinnati, as well Mm -hmm. as our two second round picks, 53 and 56, to move up to four so that we could have assured that we would get Josh Allen. Granted, we got him anyway at seven. 
Right, but that, considering how you were going for Allen, that was a pretty decent trade. I wouldn't have had anything against that. The Cleveland Browns instead stay in the number four slot and pick Ohio State cornerback Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward will be a good NFL cornerback. Denzel Ward might be the best cornerback in this draft. Depends on what Josh Jackson out of Iowa does. That was way too early to draft Denzel Ward, especially when you consider that he would have probably been there at 12 had you made that trade with Buffalo. In addition addition to moving back just eight slots, you could have still gotten the player that you wanted and picked up two additional draft picks to help rebuild a struggling roster. And I get what they were trying to do with their secondary, but I said this during the draft. I've said it in past coverage before, and I'll say it now. This was a fan-driven move. Fan-driven moves do not play out as well as you think they do. Mm-hmm. You were a great corner, but a fairly somewhat local guy playing at Ohio State, you're playing to that base. You tried doing that, going even as far back as Brady Quinn under Notre Dame with the Browns being like his team growing up and blah, blah, blah. That was a catastrophe. One of many. I don't think this will be a catastrophe, but you misplayed your hand. Yeah. I mean, this was definitely a ploy to try to get some of those Ohio state fans to decide to show up to Browns games. Jason, do you have anything to add here? Nope. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, me in that the, case... Me, me and, the, me and the, the chairs got me distracted watching NAIA women's volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to need you to step away from your volleyball for a second because it's time to focus on our Homer talk. I feel like that should be a specific segment for the season this year, guys. We should do a segment called Homer Talk where we discuss what our favorite teams are up to. If you really want to listen to Homer, Homer talk for me and Brandon, Brandon, listen to <laughs> Fancy Football to the Max. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, we have our own show for that, pretty much. <laughs> well, Eric and I still need a place to vent, so we might as well just do it on the kickoff as well. Anywho, Jason, Brandon, the floor is yours. How do you guys think the New York Giants did this year? Very, very well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an A. Uh, I don't think it's an A-plus draft, but... I'm going to give them a solid A because, oh, yes. and I think they got one of the biggest steals of the draft. Um, you you get one of the top offensive guards in the second round, and Will Hernandez. I mean, you get you get the top overall player, arguably, and a running back that's going to be there for a long, long time, and Barkley. And then you go, and what better way to Ensure longevity for the multi-million dollar second overall pick. You get one of the top linemen to protect him. So, I have to say, I give the Giants a full-on solid A. Oh, de- definitely have to agree with that. You got the a top-of-the-line running back in the first round at number three overall. And a lot of people, you know, some of the naysayers were saying, oh, you should have picked uh, Josh Rosen or a quarterback in that spot. But 
the Giants were still able to get a solid quarterback later on to sit behind Eli. This isn't a team, you know, yes, they had the number three overall pick because they sucked last year, but this is not a team that needed a quarterback immediately. So they were able to sit back, wait, get a quarterback later on in the draft that can sit behind Eli, learn from him, and then grow and prosper later on after he's learned the NFL system and the Giants system. They were able to solidify the O-line in the second round, got a solid linebacker in round three, and solidified their defensive line depth in the later rounds. So it was a great draft. I give it an A. And like I said, I mean, look at the offensive weapons New York now has. Barkley is a bell cow running back. Yeah. You got Beckham on the outside. You got one of the great young tight ends in Ingram. And, you know, Shepard isn't a bad slot receiver. So you have the weapons. What's to say? We don't need to draft a quarterback. Let's let's start building. Free agent quarterbacks can be signed. Mm-hmm. We can bring there's, – there's a good quarterback class that's getting ready to come off their rookie contracts. With those weapons, with the media market, do you think New York can't lure a solid free agent quarterback to come in that's coming off their rookie contract and be the future? Oh, absolutely not. So, uh, Real quick, you guys pick second, not third, Brandon. Oh, second, excuse me. Uh, it, it's also, still it's still so weird having to say that we picked that high. In, in addition here, Eric, a little bit of the Miami swag from the defense down in Coral Gables going up to the Giants as well as their fifth-round pick was your defensive tackle, mm-hmm. R.J. McIntosh. Yeah, boy! <laughs> Speaking of the state of Florida and that vicinity for football, let's go to Jacksonville and let's talk Jaguars, Eric. How do you think your team did in this draft? I think we did well considering what we drafted. I, I was a little bit confused with the Taven Bryan pick. And well, like Brandon said about it being weird, his team picking so high, I had to get used to our team picking as low in the first round. It, it, it's, it's kind of an adjustment, a pleasant one, but an adjustment nonetheless. <laughs> I would have liked to seen a little bit more focus on giving Bortles threats. We did well in getting Will Richardson on the line. We did even better in, in the second round getting DJ Chark out of LSU. With the likes of Hearns and Robinson gone, it was a very solid move. But I don't know exactly how Taven Bryan's going to fit as far as the rotation. So... Getting a first-round pick for him, that was like my biggest thorn. But going deeper into the draft, the Ronnie Harrison pick, great for our secondary. Leon Jacobs, great for our linebacking core since Paul Zlesny retired. Tanner Lee, ensuring that Chad Henney will not come within 100 miles of whatever our field is going to be called unless he has to play here as a visitor. I am okay with all of those. So, in a nutshell, it was a good, not great draft. Confusing, but good. Give me a letter grade, Eric. 
Um, I'll be nice and say B plus. I can't go. I can't go too hard into them a solid B, but B plus because they made up for it. We did the show last week, and I said the one thing that I want out of this draft for the Buffalo Bills is Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. You got him. At the number seven overall pick, the Indianapolis Colts announced a trade with the Buffalo Bills. I'm watching the draft over to friends over to friends' house, and I immediately let out a yell, We're getting Josh Allen! But needless to say, I was pretty excited about that. I will be the first person to admit that Josh Allen is a project. He is not a finished product. Mm-hmm. There are major accuracy concerns. He only completed 56% of his passes at Wyoming. But that dude has a absolute cannon for an arm. And it is something that you need playing in the strong winds and the cold temperatures in Buffalo, New York in December and January. And God forbid any further into the calendar year should we be as so fortunate. Hey, at least he's used to it. I mean, I'm sure Wyoming gets some pretty strong winds. Oh, God. Being up in the mountains, you're dealing with cold, you're dealing with snow. Buffalo, it's going to be like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Now I'm we, just a couple time zones east. <laughs> we, we traded up again in the middle part of the first round, going from 22 to 16 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get Tremaine Edmonds, half of the Edmonds brothers duo that came out of Virginia Tech this year. Edmonds was the linebacker. Tremaine was the linebacker. Terrell was the safety. Tremaine, if he lives up to his potential is a replacement in the linebacking core for NFL tackles leader Preston Brown. And hopefully we'll be able to step right in. Our third round selection, Harrison Phillips, might be the biggest one of them all because he is a defensive tackle who could potentially fill in for the turning 36 years old this season, Kyle Williams, on our line. Our one, two, and three picks are two first-rounders and the third-rounder because we traded away our two seconds to move up to get Allen, are going to determine the success of this draft. We have a pair of late pick-wide receivers to potentially fight for roster spots, but realistically speaking, the success of Allen, Edmonds, and Phillips is going to determine just how successful this draft class can be. I will say that I am around a B for this class just because this is a class based on potential, not production. And I will say this, and you would know Buffalo fans better than I do, so I don't know how that they would react to that, but I'm going to throw an extra cautionary tale as far as Tremaine Edmonds. He's great. He's got the potential to be great. But like you said, with Josh Allen being a project, Tremaine Edmonds will is 20. 20. 20. I want people to let that sink in. Hey, Eric, how old is he? He's 20. <laughs> <laughs> okay. he's, actually, he's actually not 20 yet. Well, will be. I forgot he was but, still 19, but 
he turns 20 this weekend. Yeah, within a couple of days. Uh. And no, he's a very he's a very young player, so maturity is obviously going to be a question. Mm-hmm. And, and let Brain- me just let me just say one other thing about your draft class. With both of the trades, you lost a lot of lower end picks. So, I mean, how many draft picks did you guys have in total this year? Uh, I believe we ended up making nine selections. I wow, still over- nine. We ended up making eight selections. I believe overall going into the draft, we had eleven. Oh, okay. So you had picks to spare. Yeah. Well, the second round pick that we traded was part of last year's trade with Kansas City in the Patrick Mahomes deal. Oh, okay. So you guys didn't lose all that much. No, it's just stuff that. I mean, granted, second-round picks are nice to have because yeah. a lot of times second-round picks will make NFL rosters. But realistically speaking here, we got the two most pressing needs in the first round with cornerback and linebacker to replace uh, Preston Brown and Tyrod Taylor, respectively. Mm-hmm. I will say this much for you and Jason, though, Brandon. You know what the best thing that happened to the Giants in this draft was? What? When the Cleveland Browns announced Baker Mayfield number one instead of Saquon Barkley. Oh, yeah. Well, I think oh. everyone knew that they were going to pick a quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they, it, it was right, the writing on the wall was quarterback at one. It was just who they took. Yeah. That's the biggest it was, question. It was more like, it was more like are, are we going to get Rosen or are we going to get who who are we going to get? And then they say that, and Gettleman was like, "Oh shit, we're we're taking Barkley." <laughs> uh, and I do believe somebody called that pick on this podcast. I don't I don't know who it was. I think who we both said that they would take Barkley. Who was adamant that they was going Barkley over quarterback at two? You. I mean, you know. I think I was pretty definitive that they were going to go with Barkley as well. Do we have anything else to touch on before we get out of here, gentlemen? Don't think so. Oh, we're good. Now it's time for all the talk about the shenanigans and rookie symposium before we head into the, uh, oh, what would be a good word? Ignanimous OTAs? (laughs) I'll that. You're using big words. I'm half asleep yes, on allergies. Now, now we go into the chaos of who decides to show up. Who decides to sign a contract? Yep. And how much money are some of these guys going to get? I'm not just talking about rookies, though. I'm talking about some of the uh, more veteran players who decide, eh, I'm too good to go to uh, OTAs. We ain't going to mention no names. Nope. <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to throw this out there. Do, do you – I think somebody actually mentioned this in the chat. How cheap are the Chargers? <laughs> Everybody else flies their first-round picks out first class? Uh, Not the Chargers. They're coming coach, bro. Well, well, hey, again, this is what happens when you play in a soccer stadium. But, and not even a good fancy new one at that. But they're in the number two market in the U.S. They got that. Mo- they got the money to do it. 
Your point? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're in the number two market, but you don't have the swag of a team like the Lakers or the Dodgers or even, my God, did you see the owner's box at the LAFC home opener? The Chargers but, know their place. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, the Browns can fly two first-round picks out first class. <laughs> yeah, really. It's I mean, the, 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 Jets, the Jets flew a, a, a pick out first class. Okay, with the Jets... Yes, you want you want to do that, but come on, Cleveland. Yeah, you're going to Cleveland, and it's <laughs> May. You really are going to sit in that flight and coach or business class? <laughs> well, I I heard I heard that uh, there's the uh, Cleveland Tourism Bureau ran their ad for the first round picks to the Browns. <laughs> You guys are freaking ridiculous. You know that. <laughs> has anybody has anybody took my advice and went and watched both of them? I have. I saw them a long time ago, so I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> At least we're not in Detroit. That's all yeah. I got to say. So, gentlemen, I got a quick question for you. <clears throat> Shoot. How does the beginning of August sound? Sounds good. Works it sounds like it, it sounds like the beginning of August. <laughs> it sounds I'll, like my birthday. It sounds like my birthday month, actually. Sounds so like sounds I'll be good. another year older and sweltering through heat and humidity. <laughs> it's been a blast getting back together to do the draft coverage with you guys. Indeed. I can't wait to get into the actual season itself. The reason I asked how does the beginning of August sound is because that is the tentative plan for the return date for the kickoff. We will be looking at coming back at the start of August in order to be able to come at you in time to do both our college football predictions as well as our NFL clueless season predictions as well. So for the newest member of our crew, Jason Teasley, the the executive producer turned co-host Eric Watkins – the Down Since Day One co-host, Brandon Biskibing. I'm Harry Broadhurst, thanking you for listening to the NFL Draft Review episode of The Kickoff here on the W2M Network. We'll see you guys in August for the NFL and college football seasons. Thanks for listening, everybody. We can't wait to be back full time.